0: Welcome to Christ Central here online. If you're watching us online on YouTube or on our live Facebook stream or here in person at 140 Clark Street, it's great to be here together. My name is Mark Rushworth. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central and we've been going through the book of Acts over the last few months and we're going to continue into that today. So if you have a Bible, you may want to turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament and uh, open it at chapter 6, which is where we have made it to so far. Um, In our study of the early church, um, we've seen Jesus' death and resurrection, obviously that came in the Gospels, and then the ascension to heaven at the start of the book of Acts. And uh, it's often difficult to tell how long a period of time is being covered when we read through these chapters in Acts. Uh, You know, how long is it from the ascension, say, up until where we are in Acts 6? And most scholars would say probably about three years in, three years after the ascension of Jesus. So we might think, oh, it just seems like a few weeks, you know, it, it seems to go quite quickly. Well, maybe it's three years in. So if you've been thinking it's taking a while for us to preach through the book of Acts, um, we could just be going at the, uh, the real pace and <laughs> it could be taking us a lot longer. All right. Things began really well. Actually, we're going to be going through uh, a chapter and a half today, so we'll be in chapter 8 by the end of today, just so, so you know. Things began really well for the early church um, on the day of Pentecost with people coming to faith, 3,000 getting saved on that day. Um, but increasingly, as we've gone through these later chapters, uh, chapter four, five, six, we've seen that there have been real difficulties for the church. The apostles have been arrested and brought before the jewish authorities twice for preaching about jesus the first time they were led off with a warning the second time they were beaten and then they were again ordered to stop preaching and teaching about jesus and this is going to be the third time with stephen and it's only going to get worse this time There have also been internal difficulties in the church Last chapter that we saw, uh, the start of chapter 6 actually, we saw that people were overlooked in the distribution of food to widows. And there was complaining and division between two different groups within the church. The Hebraic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews. The apostles were stretched to their limits. They were having these things coming to them. We've got this issue, we've got this issue. They were saying, man, we haven't got time to do all of these things. Um, as well as focus on praying and preaching the word of God. Um, And so they found ways to help with that. God was working throughout all of these things. God was at work in the great time on the day of Pentecost when people were speaking in different language. God was also working when they'd been arrested. God was also working through these difficult times. God never stops working in us. And uh, we're going to come to a long passage here, um, and we're going to see some really, really hard things, but God is still working. We're going to look from Acts chapter 6 verse 8 through until Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, the story of Stephen. And I could just summarize it, but I'm mindful of what Paul says to Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy at the end of his life. And uh, Paul says, uh, devote yourself to the public Reading of scripture to preaching and to teaching devote yourself to the public reading of scripture So that's what we're going to do We're going to read through the whole of this passage believing that there is power to change lives even in the reading of scripture And uh, as we go through i'm going to comment uh, Section by section so we're not going to read it all in one go at the start i'll comment as we go So that's why it's helpful to have it in front of you We'll also have it on the screen here or online if you are looking online. And we're going to start at verse 8 of chapter 6. So, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was uh, one of the men that we came across in the last passage in Acts chapter 6. He was one that got the job of organizing and distributing the food to the widows. And you'll remember that the apostles had said, you know, as you choose these people, they've got to be people who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And we see... That Stephen was one of those who was full of the Spirit. And that doesn't just mean he was stuck serving widow's food and organizing that distribution. He was also empowered by the Spirit to do other things. And so here we see that he is uh, performing great wonders and signs among all of the people. And uh, we can serve in many ways. There can be many different ways we serve in the church, very practical ways, and also in the power of the Spirit, things that we couldn't do in and of ourselves. Stephen's a great encouragement to us in that. It says, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, But they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So there you are, he's full of the Spirit, he's full of wisdom, he's speaking wisdom from God in the power of the spirit and uh, these people who are arguing with him from this synagogue of the freedmen they're probably intellectually a lot more able than Stephen was Stephen we don't we don't really know a lot about his background um but he is full of the spirit's wisdom and so as they he's preaching and speaking and they're arguing against him actually they're not going to be able to 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 compete they 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 weren't doing very well because what their arguments said didn't stand against him. God doesn't want us to be intimidated by people who seem to be intellectually superior to us. If we're full of the Spirit, God gives us words to speak. And Jesus encouraged his disciples about that when he was with them. He said in Luke chapter 12 and verse Uh, 11 and 12, we read there, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You can imagine Jesus' disciples being with him um, at that that time that's being recorded and Jesus, they're going around with him, they're seeing him do all of the stuff and he says to them, look, you know, when you're arrested and brought in front of the synagogues, Don't worry about what you're going to say. And you can imagine them thinking, I wasn't worried until you told me I was going to be arrested and brought in front of the synagogues and the rulers. You know, I didn't think that was part of the deal, Jesus. Um, It is part of the deal, but he's saying God's going to give you the words to say. He's going to give you wisdom at the time. Verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Obviously, that wasn't true. They're false witnesses. Um, Interesting, it's very similar accusations to the ones that Jesus had. Remember when Jesus got arrested, they accused him and brought false witnesses against him and they said, you know, oh, Jesus is saying he's going to destroy this temple in three days. You know, it was kind of an act of insurrection. He's a, he's a terrorist, he's gonna, he's gonna somehow destroy the temple. And, and Jesus, no, 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 Jesus did talk about a temple. He was talking about his own person, his own body. This temple of the Holy Spirit is gonna be destroyed and in three days it's gonna be risen again. Um, the same lies being said about Stephen here. Oh, you know, Jesus is gonna destroy the temple. That's not true, but it's very parallel to what happened with Jesus. And as Christians, we're called Christians because it was a nickname that was first given and it means little Christs, because we are to be like Jesus. So it's not surprising that Stephen is going through some of the same things that Jesus was going through. And it's not surprising when we go through some of the same things that Jesus goes through. Jesus said, to follow me, you have to take up your cross. Well, what does that even mean? You know, we're not gonna be hung on a cross. Well, what it means is we're gonna have to go through some of the things that Jesus went through. Life isn't gonna be a bunch of roses. Verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He wasn't angry, he wasn't shouting at them, he didn't get defensive. They were attacking him viciously, they were making up lies about him. He actually had a peace from the Holy Spirit. He had the peace of God about him, just as Jesus did when he was accused. He had the face of an angel. And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Are these charges true? The high priest is asking Stephen to speak, to answer the charges against him. Now. They should have learned by now. That's always a dangerous thing. When they had Peter and John in front of them and they asked them to speak, they launched into preaching all about Jesus. And that's exactly what Stephen is about to do. He begins what might be his first sermon. It's certainly his first recorded sermon. It's definitely going to be his last. And it could be that this is the entirety of what was said. Often, when Uh, preaching is is in in the book of Acts. It's kind of summarized, unless they just preached for two minutes. Um, But maybe this is exactly what Stephen said. He's going to preach about the history of God and the history of God's faithfulness and the history of God's people's unfaithfulness, how people would turn against God. Even God's own people would turn against what he was doing, but how God was taking things through to his plans and his purposes being fulfilled throughout history and some of that would be through great trouble and through great hardship. It wouldn't be plain sailing. It wouldn't be an easy journey. It wasn't in history. It won't be now. If we're the people of God, we're going to encounter many difficulties but God is faithful. God is with us. He will be with us. He'll never let us go. And we've got to get hold of this as believers because the enemy will tell us, well, the Christian life is going to be easy. It's going to be full of wonderful blessings and and will make life so much easier. You think, well, why would the enemy want to tell us that life with God is so much better? Why would the enemy doesn't want to tell us that? Because actually that's not what the Bible tells us. And so if we believe that our life is not going to be hard, it's not going to face challenges, it's not going to face real difficulties sometimes, then if we're just thinking, oh, God's always going to bless me and my life, and it's going to be full of ease, we'll just feel that God's let us down if we believe those lies when things happen that are difficult. That's not the gospel. We're promised hardship, opposition, persecution. Those are the promises in the word of God. They're not easy to get hold of, but we're also promised the powerful presence of God. We're promised an eternity with Jesus. We're promised rewards in heaven from our heavenly father for our perseverance and for our faith. And you'll find that there are other so-called Christian preachers who say the opposite of that. They'll, They'll say the different things. So it's important to keep the truth of what the word of God tells us in front of us. Paul speaks to Timothy in second letter to timothy in chapter 3 and verse 12 he says we said the other week anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and then he goes on to talk to timothy and he says look preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from truth and they'll turn aside to myths. I would encourage us, let's not do that. Let's be really careful about who we're listening to and what we are listening to. You'll find many preachers who talk about the benefits and blessings of following Jesus in their life. And there are benefits and blessings of following Jesus in this life, but that isn't the complete picture. We're blessed by the Spirit's presence with us. We're blessed by his peace and his joy through the trial that we're going for. We do have an eternal hope, but right now, so often, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we need to understand the fullness of what he says, and not just turn to people who say what we want them to say. Stephen is gonna use his preaching to point that out to the religious leaders because they missed the point of what God was doing. They always missed the point of what God was doing. They rejected the leaders God raised up for them and they misunderstood. They thought you could kind of keep God in a box or in the temple. They think, oh, it's so important, we can't, the temple, it's gotta well be the temple. God doesn't live in the temple, and then they end up killing the Son of God. That's what Stephen's going to say. So we're going to read his uh, message that he preached, and we're just going to read this all the way through. It's kind of a preach within a preach this morning. Um, some of you might have, have watched the movie Inception, where you got dreams within dreams. You never knew quite what reality was. It was a dream within a dream within a dream. So this is a preach within a preach. You get two for the price of one this morning. <laughs> Let's try and follow as we read from chapter seven, verse two up to verse 50. This is what Stephen said. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance, not even enough ground to set his foot on, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time, Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, this is what God says, it's not going to be an easy ride. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. And he gave Abraham a covenant of circumcision. Uh, um, And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Now, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all of Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering. And our ancestors couldn't find food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was. And Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor and Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family and when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. And when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day Moses came on two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, your brothers, why do you wanna hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight and he went over to get a closer look and he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Moses trembled with fear, didn't dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and I've come down to set them free. Now, come, I'll send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses who they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler. And deliverer by God himself though the angel who, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. He's talking about Jesus there. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors. And he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. This agrees with what was written in the book of the Prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness people of israel you've taken up the tabernacle of molech and the star of your god rephan the idols you made to worship therefore i'll send you into exile beyond babylon our ancestors had made had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness it had been made as god directed moses according to the pattern he'd seen After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove them out from. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor, and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High doesn't live in houses built by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? All right, that's the main body of what Stephen preached to the Sanhedrin as they were there. They just said, is this true? Did, did, Did you say Jesus is going to destroy the temple? He's going through the whole history of everything that they understood. It's their history. He's reminding them of all of these things. And then he's coming to his application. This is the crunch point after he's reminded them of all these things. He's gonna drive it home, it's not gonna go well. He says this, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, even though you've received the law that was given you through the angels, but you've not obeyed it. So Stephen's talked about all these ancestors, the patriarchs, Abraham, Joseph, um, Moses, David, Joshua, Solomon... He's shown how they were sent by God. He's shown how they were rejected by his people. Even Moses, who's predicting Jesus coming. No, no, no. We're turning away from you. We're not following you, Moses, anymore. Then God finally sends Jesus to set us free from our ultimate slavery, our slavery to sin, our slavery to death. He comes as the promised Messiah who's going to bless all nations, fulfilling God's promise. And Stephen's going, and you've done it again. You've rejected him again. You're the ones who killed him. And that's his message to them. And it's not a message that's going to go over well. We'll see what happened. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen preaches his one, his only message. And what's the response? The response from the hearers is anger, fury, gnashing of teeth. The response from heaven is heaven opens and Stephen gets to see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. It's almost as as though he was saying, well done. You remember that time when Jesus gets baptized and heaven opens and Jesus sees the Father. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The response to the preaching of the gospel is always mixed. And preaching the gospel involves preaching sin. And people don't like to hear about their sin. But some people will respond. Some people will get saved, but others won't. But it's good to know the response of God, isn't it? It's good to know the response of Jesus. Standing at the right hand of the Father. When we have conversations with people about Jesus, when they reject us, when they laugh at us, when they make fun of us, it's good to know Jesus is standing there He says, if you're not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. He stands in heaven, and he's for us. He's for us. Verse 57, at this, they covered their ears. I mean, he's saying he's seeing Jesus. They covered their ears and yelling at him at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is a court. This is the court of law that they've got him in. And he's preaching and talking about Jesus and they can't stand it anymore. And the court of Jews has just become an angry mob. There's no more warnings anymore. There's no more careful consideration of the law and what is allowed and what isn't allowed and what they should do. They're not looking for that legal response anymore. They've got to the point of pure anger and hatred directed at Stephen. They drag him off. They take their coats off like they're coming out of a bullpen to get rocks and to hurl them as hard as they can at Stephen to kill him. And they lay their jackets at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, verse 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's death, is so similar to the death of Jesus, so similar. Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You remember Jesus on the cross praying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen cries, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And Jesus on the cross cried, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then Stephen dies as Jesus dies, although he will rise again as Jesus rose again. Don't hold this sin against them, and Saul is approving of their killing of him. Stephen dies a death, And it's clear that he wasn't just venting his anger at the court. He was seeking to bring them to repentance because his prayer is, God, don't hold this against them. How easy would it have been for him to call down, as James and John once suggested to Jesus that they do, call down fire from heaven on them. God, these are your people. They're not listening to you. Punish them. Burn them up with fire. He doesn't pray that. He says, Don't hold this sin against them. He wants them to be forgiven. He wants them to know the same love and forgiveness of Jesus that he knew, even though they don't know what they're doing. And there's Saul. There's Saul standing there approving of them killing him. And Stephen's prayer is going to be answered. It's going to be answered in Saul. It's going to be answered in him. In chapter 9, we're going to read about Saul encountering the risen Lord Jesus and having his life totally turned around. So that instead of approving of death of Christians, he's going to be preaching the gospel. He's going to be planting churches. He's going to be used powerfully by God. Stephen's dying prayer will be answered. But right now, right now, it looks as though Saul has won. It looks as though Stephen and the church have lost. The next few verses in chapter 8 only seem to confirm it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Immediately after Stephen's death, back persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem. Everyone is scattered apart from the apostles. And you might think, well, why aren't the apostles scattered? Did, did, the, did Saul leave the apostles alone? Why would he do that? It wouldn't be that Saul and others left the apostles alone. It's that the apostles are shepherds and everyone else is like sheep, the flock, that's the way that the Bible describes them. And what happens with sheep? The sheep scatter. But the apostles stay to guard the flock. Shepherds lay down their lives for the sheep. Stephen's buried, he's mourned deeply. Saul begins to destroy the church. It looks for all the world like God has lost. It looks for all the world like the church is defeated. It looks for all the world like evil has prevailed, just like it looked when Jesus died on the cross. That's exactly how it looked. It looked as though the devil had won. It looked as though Jesus and God's mission was over. It looked as though evil had triumphed over good, yet God was still work. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, demonstrating to the powers and principalities that he was the victor. He had conquered sin and death. He had won for his people forgiveness from sin and everlasting life, and his kingdom was still advancing, and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church being built that was his promise that's what he'd always said and it looked on on the cross as though that had all gone out the window but it hadn't because God's promise will never fail and that was his promise still and in in AD 33 34 when all this was happening and the persecution is coming on the church and the church is getting scattered it looked as though it's all failed again but God's promise prevails The gates of hell will not prevail against the church being built. And I'm sure that the disciples did not know how God's plan and purposes were going to come about. I wonder how they thought it would happen. You remember when they started following Jesus and they thought, you know, this is great. Jesus is the Messiah. We're worshipping him. He's going to win this great victory. And Jesus started to say, do you know what? I'm going to die. I'm going to be I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be flogged and I'm going to die and the disciples said what are you even talking about that's not the way it's going to happen and Jesus said no that's the way it has to happen that's the way it has to happen the disciples couldn't get their heads around it but God knew and here, I'm sure the disciples couldn't get their heads around it. I'm sure when Jesus ascended to heaven and he says to them, recorded in Acts one 8 you you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and the Holy Spirit did come on Pentecost and they, were, they received power. And the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus and, 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 and empowered him to... to heal people and set people free and even raise the dead and they see it themselves they see it in Jerusalem they see people getting healed and they see many people getting saved and I wonder if they thought "Hmm, you know Jesus did say some of us are going to go to Judea and Samaria which of us want to go and plant a church in Samaria who's interested in that and it's like no it's all happening here in Jerusalem. You know, Peter's walking down the street. Peter's like, I'm not going to Samaria because I'm walking down the street and my shadow's falling on people and people are being healed. Why would they ever go to Judea and Samaria? Why would they not all just stay in Jerusalem? God's plan wasn't for the church to stay in Jerusalem. God's plan was for for them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And how were they gonna get there? They're gonna get there through persecution. They're gonna get there through Saul dragging people out of their houses. They're gonna get there by people fleeing to the north and to the south, to Judea, to Samaria. That's how they went. Surely that wasn't God's plan? Yes, that was God's plan. And the gates of hell would not prevail against the gospel going out and the church being built. It looked like they had lost, but what was intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many lives. Those verses that you find about Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 is still true here. And Stephen prays, don't hold this sin against them, and God answered Stephen's prayer. We're gonna see what happens to Saul we're going to see it all turn around. Right now, it looks like it looked on Good Friday. But Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming. And there's a new day for the church. So, what about us as we close? So often, we only see a glimpse of what God is doing in our lives. We feel we can understand it. We think, oh yes, this is how it's gonna happen. I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna go here and then I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna do that and it's all gonna be for God's glory. And you know what? God goes, okay, you can believe that if you want. (laughs) I've actually got other plans. You'll figure it out as we go. God's often got other plans for our lives. And we imagine it's all gonna be this road to glory it's all going to be wonderful it's all going to be easy it's all going to be comfortable and God's going to work in and through us yet the way Jesus calls to us us too, is by picking up our cross and following him and we think what's that about if we want to follow you we've got to pick up our cross are we going to die on a cross well probably not but we don't know what that means but it does mean there's a death. It does mean there's hardship. It does mean there's suffering. But it does mean there's glory at the end of it. We do know God will never leave us or forsake us. We do know God will never let us go, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So let's not kick against the things that God leads us to in our lives. Sometimes God takes us to a place and we cannot understand it but let's never believe that God's left us. Let's never believe it's not in God's plans and purposes. He'll never let go. He's at work, no matter what it looks like. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail. Why don't we pray? I'm gonna invite Angelo and the band to come back up. I'm just gonna pray into this and pray over us before we worship God one last time this morning. Why don't we stand together? Let's stand if we can. Thank you, God. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your call on our lives. But more than that, Lord, I thank you that your plans of salvation included us from the beginning. We're not here by accident. You called us. You called us to you even before we were born. And I thank you that you have your hand on our lives. I praise you that we're part of this church. I thank you that you've called us to a great thing in seeing your gospel go out, in seeing your kingdom advance, in seeing your church built. And Lord, we don't know what that's gonna mean. We don't know what it's gonna mean for us as a church. We don't know what it's gonna mean for us as individuals. We can't predict what's gonna happen. We, we couldn't have predicted even this last year with the pandemic and all of that. We, we, we don't know. We don't know. You don't reveal it to us ahead of time usually. You do tell us ahead of time, I'll be with you. You do tell us ahead of time, I'm going to speak with you through, through my Holy Spirit. When you're in these difficult situations, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the words. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. Even in death, I'll be with you. As you stand for me, I'll stand for you. I'll not be ashamed of you. And Lord, I thank you, we have a heavenly hope that whatever happens in this life, whatever you call us to, we know that we have an eternity with you. We know that even if our body is killed, we will rise as Stephen rose, as you rose, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God together.